This message teaches us that no one has more potential and dignity than those who learn to view themselves from Christ's point of view. No one can have a healthy and realistic view of themselves than those who are able to look at life through the spiritual mirror of God's word, which is the truest reflection. Be blessed. Morning church. I know some of you are probably nudging your neighbor and saying, you know, what is she doing here? Well, you're not alone. I'm thinking of the same thing. But I'm reminded of uh, um, something in the Bible. If God could use Balaam's donkey, God can use me. Amen. Okay, I want to assure you that I don't stand here on my own ability or on my um, anything to call myself, but I'm just here by the call of God. And uh, I don't know how I'm going to see myself through this one hour, but I believe that God will, will definitely use me. How many of you looked into the mirror this morning? Now let's leave the donkey part aside. I'm seriously asking, how many of you looked into the mirror this morning? Right. So you'd believe that it's something that you and I see every day? Yes? Yes or no? Right. Okay, it plays, a mirror plays an extremely important part in our lives. It's an absolute necessary for us, right? We, we may, in the morning when you get up, that's the first thing that you look at. You look into your mirror to brush your teeth. Or you, those of you who drive cars, you probably look into the rearview mirror to back your cars. Now, the fascination of mirror comes in right from the time, uh, you know, toddlers, right, right from the time children are little. My little girl, she dances in front of the mirror to see if she's beautiful. My son, he flexes his muscles to see if there is some kind of strength in him. And me and my husband look into the mirror to see how wise we are. Right? But then you'd agree with me that we all do use mirrors on a day-to-day basis. And what makes it so fascinating? It's just that it just gives a reflection of us, right? So just like you have an external mirror, you have an internal mirror inside of you. Something that shows you who you are or what kind of a person you are. It just tells you how, it just tells you, how you see yourself. Now, when you look into this internal mirror, you have a certain idea about what you are. It could be from what you believe in yourself, or it could be of what others have told you through your years of life. You know, and these, these reflections that I call it is something that's made out of our past experiences. It's made out of what people have said to us. It's made out of certain rejections. So all of us have certain internal mirrors within, within ourselves. And what happens? We begin to trust these reflections over time. Now, these reflections could be two. It could either be life-giving and uplifting, or it could be death-bringing or noxious reflections. And we don't, sometimes we don't even know that these reflections are there. We just happen to believe it. And very often what we find is what we believe in our hearts, so what we think in our hearts is the way that we behave and the way that we act. So if you would see, if you have negative thoughts about yourself, you would live a negative life. And if you have positive thoughts about yourself, you would live a victorious life. And this is very clearly seen in the Bible in Proverbs 23, 7, for it says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Now we'll just see that there are so many problems of people just with the kind of thoughts that they have within them. Now one of the common reflections that we have is something to do with self-worth. If you understand by the meaning of self-worth. Now a lot of us as Christians also feel worthless. In fact, if you take a survey in this room, you will find maybe a 95% of people who felt worthless at some point of their lives. Would you agree with me? At some point of our lives, we've always felt that there was something wrong with us. Now, just to clarify, let me tell you what the meaning of self-worth is. It, is. it is the way you would think or feel about yourself. I'll repeat that. It is the way that you think and feel about yourself. Or it is also the ability to place a value to yourself. It is holding yourself 
your body, your mind, your spirit, your soul in high appreciation or regard. Now, you'd agree with me that we all have an opinion of ourselves, right? Sometimes we, we, uh, we mean it in statements such as, oh, that's just the way I am. Or you may say that, you know, when I get mad, you just better not stay next to me. I'll just blow up. Or you'll probably say something like, you know, you look into, to your, into the mirror and you will say, you know, I just can't stand the way that I look. I'm so ugly. I don't have what it makes to be a beautiful person. Or you may say something like, anybody can do this better than I can. I can't do this. Anybody could do it better than I can. So we generally do have opinions about ourselves. Sometimes we generally get, um, we, we hide this in certain mass. We get very good at covering it up and playing games. And you know, the kind of masks that we sometimes wear could be ones of uh, superiority, or we may be perfectionists, or we may be very nice, or we may be very humble, or we may be those hypercritical, pesky kind of people, right? But then we just cover it up. We just make sure that nobody can see the real, painful, deep-rooted feelings inside of us. So we, may, we, we do a good job of covering it up so that nobody can see what exactly we are going through. And we kind of think that these masks will compensate, compensate for what we are feeling inside and appear and showed ourselves to appear as right or good or better. Now, if you would know, I'm, I'm sure you've heard the word of low self-worth. It is extremely destructive. You would agree with me that it is extremely destructive. For those of us who've gone through that, you would understand how it can eat into your life. It can affect all areas of our life. It can affect your social relationships. When you feel rejected, what do you do? Or when you kind of think that you're gonna, gonna, gonna face a rejection, you kind of make sure that you keep away from that person. You know, you may deal with them in anger, you may deal with them in defensiveness, just to make sure that you're not in a vulnerable position for them to see who you really are. Low self-worth can affect your physical self. It can affect what you feel inside, that emotional feeling of helplessness and hopelessness and that absolute hatred to yourself. Low self-worth can also affect the way that you see God. It just colors the way that you see God. Low self-worth is like self-fulfilling prophecy. What does that mean? It means that if you believe that you are of no value and worth, you just will happen to make sure that that prediction comes true. So it's just like you say something about yourself and you will end up just living that. And often, what do we see? Be me being a counselor, uh, I, I, can, I, can state, I can tell you for a fact that a lot of people who come in for help are those who have low self-worth as a baggage. And in order to alleviate that pain, a lot of us here get into a lot of problems. It could be addiction, it could be depression, it could be problems in our relationships, it could be um, poor performance in our academics or in our work. You just see that it's like a maggot that eats into you and really kills yourself. Now, it does not mean that thinking more of yourself is any better. It's as self-defeating as a low self-worth. You know, when we are self-conceited, we kind of find that we ignore the need for God and we ignore the need for others. It's very well written in the Bible in Proverbs 12.3 that says, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think soberly as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, I just want to explore what is it that gives us a negative self-worth. There are a couple of things that, that we've kind of seen. I think one of the first thing is our own self-perception. The way that you see yourself really matters whether you have a positive self-worth or not. And often it is a very incomplete and a faulty picture. You know, one of the greatest warnings that is given in the Bible is uh, passing judgments against somebody else, like it is said in Romans 2.1. It says, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. So there is a great deal uh, of error in the way that you judge somebody else, and so also in the way that you judge your own self. 
So when you judge yourself, you're kind of looking at yourself with maybe, you know, you're not good looking or you don't have that great status or you don't have that great money. And for the, fa the fact is that there are always going to be people looking at you thinking that, you know, you are much, much better off than them. Or on the other side, there are a lot of people who are going to think of you and feel, oh my, I'm so inferior, I don't match up to that other person. So then it's usually how we see ourselves that contributes to our self-worth. What is the second thing? The second thing is the way others see us. You know, in very many societies, I think especially in our Indian society, a person's worth is determined by a lot of our talents, our money, our gifts, our appearance. That is what gives us a standing in our society. But, you know, just the Bible, just like how the Bible so clearly says, we, we are used to looking at the outward appearance because that's all that we can see. And the, the, the fact is that, that our concept of self-worth is usually shaped by somebody else's reaction or display on us. But there is much more that just meets the eye. You know, those of us who feel a poor self-esteem need to think of our personal attributes or our personal value as something that what God would, would really look at. I just, having said this, I just have a warning for all of us as Christians. I think as Christians, we need to make a concentrated effort about what we say to others. You know, what you can say, what you say to your spouse, what you say to your children, especially for us as parents who have young children. It really, really matters what you say to them. It may be just something that you say out of the ordinary. You know, he, your, your child, I mean, I'm guilty of this. Each time my child drops milk, I get really annoyed. And I say something that, that later I turn back and say, God, please forgive me. I shouldn't have said that. And I go apologize to my daughter. But then for us as parents, or for us as all, all of us who are sitting here, we've got to be careful of the words that we use to others to make sure that we edify, we uplift people. Because what we say can determine somebody else's self-esteem. So I just want you to spend a little, little while just to reflect and ask yourself of how careful you have been in the way that you have impacted the self-esteem of somebody else. It could be your spouse. It could be your children. It could be your pastor. It could be anybody. It could be just a colleague. What we need to do is to help and build people as opposed to bringing them and tearing them down. One of the third factors of how low self-esteem is formed is the deception of the enemy. You know, Satan is a, is a constant source of agitation for us. You know, if you see it in Revelations, he says he's the accuser. He's the accuser of, of us. And he strives, he strives, he makes sure that he comes after you to destroy everything within you through accusation, through condemnation, or through discouragement. Now, that's what he does. You know, he's called the liar. And what does he do? He just lets you know. He tells you, you're useless. You are inadequate. You are inferior. And he even sometimes twists scriptures. When you're reading scriptures, you kind of think, God, is this for me? Or is this something else that I'm reading? You know, he has that ability to twist that scripture for you to make sure that you, know, you continue to feel bad and horrible about yourself. He strives to instill that worthlessness in you so that you know, all that enthusiasm within you, you know, he quenches that enthusiasm within you uh, so that you, you do not work for, for the kingdom of God. One of the fourth things that, that actually lead to a low self-esteem is unresolved guilt. Now, a lot of us have a poor self-esteem because of the consequences of our guilts. Now, sometimes our past can torture us. Sometimes what we have done in our childhood or done in our youth or done in our adulthood can torture us and rob us of what we feel about ourselves. Now, a lot of us as Christians still live in the sins of yesterday. Even though we know we are forgiven, we still live in yesterday and say, you know, this is what I've done. Can I be forgiven? Is Jesus' cleansing power enough for me to be forgiven? But what we don't realize is that nagging feeling of guilt can lead us into feeling inferior about ourselves. What is the last one? The last one is past or traumatic experiences. 
There may be all of us who've gone through something or the other in our lives that has been bad, that has been traumatic. Let me give you a few examples. You may, you may have come from a household where uh, there has been a lot of criticism. There has been a lot of rejection and disapproval. You know, this is something that can quietly eat into your self-image. Or you may be a person who's been in an environment where there has been a continual source of emotional abuse or a lack of acceptance. Someone who tells you that you haven't been good enough. That is what can kill you. There is another set of people who are in problematic relationships. You know, people who are in relationships where they're always subjected to a spirit of condemnation, a spirit of belittling, spirit of disapproval. And that's when a great sense of, of hatred and dislike could come about. Now, people who generally undergo this form of a traumatic experience, they just find it extremely difficult to cope. Let me just name a few. You know, the kind of, kind of experiences that they go through is abuse, experiences of, of um, uh, betrayal or a broken relationship or a divorce, you know, other, other kinds of, you know, any form of violence or any form of illnesses, these can all diminish the way that we see ourselves. But whatever the cause may be, the struggle against negative thinking is a battle of the mind. Well, I'm, I'm not actually preaching this sermon out of something I've learned, but something more of a personal experience that I've had. Um, I grew up in a very loving family with, with parents who regarded me as, you know, as the best. But yet through that, I went through an experience that made me see myself as not who I really was. So every morning I would, you know, as a teenager, I would wake up, look into the mirror, and talk to myself in the mirror and say, Jean, there's, there's nothing that's good about you. You're not good enough. This is not the way that you should look. And it, it, some of them just got confirmed by things that happened around me. I'll t tell you of an experience. Well, my sister and I were walking to school. I had braces. Okay? My sister is a more fairer, uh, more plumper, more prettier person. Whereas I was in my teens getting to be that, you know, in that ugly phase. We were walking along and somebody, some guys passed by and they just made a comment. They said, here goes the beauty and the beast. And that rings in my mind, that used to ring in my mind each time I used to look at the mirror. And I used to feel horrible about myself. And there used to be times when I was alone. I used to ask God, I used to question God. I said, God, why did that happen to me? Is that for me? Is it for me to feel this way about myself? And that's the kind of understanding I had about myself for over years. For over years, even after I became a Christian. But then it is, it's just something that I'm going to share with you that, that, that gave me a new lease of life. And today I see myself as somebody chosen, hand-picked by God, a beautiful person. And I praise God that he made, me, he, he made me see that. But that wasn't an easy journey. It was, it was a long process. And, I, and, and, I, and I'm not telling you that I've reached there. But then there are times that I fall down in the, in the pit. But God actually picks me up. One of the reasons why I actually got into psychology and counseling was to find some of these answers. And let me tell you, I was into a big, big disappointment. And that's what I'm kind of going to share with you today. A lot of people think that Bible and the self-esteem do not mix. But whereas others do think that that is the best place that you can find self-acceptance in. The truth is that self-esteem can be seen through pride or it can be seen through humility. It can be cultivated with biblical wisdom or without it. But what I, am, what I have to say, and I'm a living example of that, that no one has more self-potential than the one who sees themselves through Christ Jesus. Amen? Okay. Right. Let me ask you a question. And that's, that's a question I want you to ask your neighbor. Am I a good person or a bad person? Can you ask that? Especially if you have a spouse sitting next to you, that's a good person to ask. Am I good or am I bad? 
Okay. Well, I hope you've got your answer. Maybe you should work on your marriage more. <laughs> okay. To view this question, am I a good person or a bad person? You know, we need to look at what our original design was. If you look at this question through human standards, you know, what, what the social scientists and the psychologists and the human educators say, they will say that we aren't born bad. They will tell you that. You aren't born bad. You are just damaged by the influence of your environment. So what they believe, their explanation is that babies are born with a blank state of mind. There is a clean slate. There is an absolute, there is a slate of innocence. And the way that they are destroyed is only because of the pressure that they face outside or that the environment that they are in. Okay, so that's what the world believes in. Let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says that we are shaped by two opposites. One is divine worth and the second is moral wickedness. Divine worth, let's look. According to the Bible, you know, that's one of the first things that we read. In Genesis 1.26, it says that we were made in the image or the likeness of God. So what does that mean? We actually carry an inherent sense of worth. Amen. So right from the time we were born, we carried an inherent sense of worth. And that is what sets us apart. You know, when God created other creatures, he created the animals and the birds and everything, except for this one thing. They were not made to enjoy him or to talk to him or to relate with him. He left that privilege for us. He kept that privilege just, set, just right enough for us. And he put something called as a designer's label on us. You know what the designer label is? I'm sure a lot of us wear designer clothes. What does that mean? It's, it's something that you pick up from the designer's boutique and there's not another piece like that. So you've worn something that is unique. That's how God created us, with the designer's label. And that proof of that is seen in Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16, where it says, He knit you together in, his, in, in your mother's womb. He, he fearfully made you. You know, it's actually God who's done that. And, and that, that is the label that we have inside of us. So you may not really possess the appearance or the looks or the ability that you would wish to have, but... You exist by the will and the wisdom of God who made you. That, that, is, that is absolutely amazing. And God made you to honor him, to enjoy him, and to love him. So what better words need we ask for? The second opposite that we, are, that, that we are shaped by is something known as moral wickedness. You know, on the other hand, every part of us is damaged by our spiritual separation from God. You know, moral wickedness just means that we are all fallen, we are broken from birth. There are many verses that actually tell you this. Let me just quote a few. One is Romans 3.23 where it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Or it says in Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in my, my sin my mother conceived me. So we are all fallen, fallen people. And because we are fallen, there is something known as stubborn self-reliance. We are so self-reliant. We kind of think that we need to get the better of everything. You know, it says very clearly in Romans 7, 5, for when we were at work in our, sorry, for when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. So we signal to the world outside that we don't like what is happening to us. We get angry and frustrated when things don't go our way. When we look at our neighbor, we kind of say, why don't I have what she has? But you know, sadly, this is just our bruised pride. It is just colored by our bruised pride. And we think that our self-esteem needs to be pumped up. But it is just our self-conceit that leads us to think that we need to feel better about ourselves. Let me pose the next question to you. So how is it that you and I should feel about ourselves? Very often, when we are measured by the world, the world will tell you to 
the world looks at self-worth and self-esteem without God in it. There is no God's perspective in it. What is it that they say? The answer is inside of you. You have it all. You have the answers. You have the resources. You have everything that's in you to make it big. Yes? Yes or no? Yes. And very often, you know, in seminars, if you go, they will tell you, in order to feel good about yourself, all that you need to do is positively affirm yourself. Just smile. Just say good things about yourself. I just see them as band-aids. It just covers you up. It just makes your temporary feeling of lack of self-worth a little closed up. But then after some time, some time it will fester from within. Let, let's look at just a few taglines on the media. You know, the media is full of telling you that uh, it is you who is important. Whose tagline is this? Just do it. It encourages, encourages you to just do it. What about because you're worth it? Yes, women. Okay, it tells you you're worth it. So just pamper yourself. Have it your way. It's, it's Burger King. All right? So if you look at media, everything that it promotes is you. It says, build a throne for yourself. Do everything that you have for yourself. But the fact is that, you know, if you encourage no fear, no guilt, no accountability to anyone but yourself, you are in for big, big trouble. You're in for a big, big trouble and a big, big lie. But the efforts to make you feel better at the expense of Jesus Christ leads you to nowhere. And that's something that we need to realize. So let's look at what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that we have to add value to our lives with, with God's perspective in it. I'm going to take you through something that you, know, you may gawk at. But if you really see it, the Bible actually assumes that you love yourself. Did you know that? I'll show you that in verses. If you look at Matthew chapter 22, verse 39, it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So it assumes that you love yourself. Otherwise, you wouldn't love your neighbor. Even Paul, while giving advice to husbands, he said, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. So it just assumes that you and I love ourselves. You just think about it. Your own experience will tell you that. Don't you habitually look at yourself in the mirror before you go out? Why do you do that? You don't want to be laughed at by somebody, right? You love yourself, right? Or let's say your spouse, or let me, let me take it personally. If Binny gets upset with me or he says something to me, I react in anger sometimes. Why do I do that? Why do I defend myself? Because I love myself. Yes? Right. Or why is it that I take care of myself? Why do I make sure that I wear right clothes for Sunday morning sermon? Because I, I care what people are going to think of me. So, so if you really look at it, we all love ourselves in, some, in, 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 a, in a lot of ways. So if, if you didn't really care about yourselves, you wouldn't, you wouldn't really do anything to make, make sure that you are perfected. But according to the Bible, if you love yourself, you will also hate yourself. So one thing is for sure that God does not expect you to hate your bodies or your crooked noses or your unmanageable hair or your absent-mindedness. He doesn't expect you to hate that. What does he expect you to detest? He expects you to detest your self-centeredness. The fact that you look into yourself always. That's what he expects us to detest. In fact, Paul writes about this in Romans 7, 21 to 23. He says, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. So he says, when I want to do good, evil is there. He goes on to say in verse 22, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law. So you're saying, in my mind, I really want to do God's law. It says in 23, But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. So it just says, 
that there is a law that makes war against the law that my mind accepts. So what should we do? We must learn to see the failure and weakness of our human nature, of our weakness. So just like the builder who wants to make a grand building, a builder who wants to make a grand building, what does he do? He first tears down that condemned, that old building before he can rise up another building. Or just like the coach, you know, he needs to tear down the confidence of, of all the members in his team before they can rely on the coach's wisdom. The same way God expects that we tear down what we see within ourselves and place him at a higher pedestal. He, we ought to hate this tendency so much of the way that we look within ourselves that we need to pray like how Paul prayed, I seek to be humble in order to be lifted up. The last process that we need to do is dying to ourselves. You know, you may say, Jean, that's all wrong. If I want to have a good self-esteem, how do you expect me to die to myself? Well, hey, that's true. If you look into the Bible, God says in John 12, 25, he who loses his life, will, he who loves his life will lose it. He expects us to make sure that we give up all trust in our own selves and in, and in all our resources. He also says in Luke 14, 26 to 27, that we need to be willing to put Jesus before every one of our relationships. So if you look back at yourself, who are you depending on? Are you depending on somebody at your home? Are you depending on your spouse? Are you depending on your children? Are you depending on, on something that really does not have value? But God says you need to die to that resource. You need to die to that in order for him to make sure that he lives in you. Amen. So what is the yardstick of our true self-worth? How should we see it? Now, it is apparent that God wants us to feel good about ourselves. But in the world, the natural inclination for us or the ability to make, to, to feel good of, uh, about ourselves are in things like appearance, things like our aptitude, things like uh, our affluence. It could be your brains. It could be beauty. It could be money, your possession, your power, your pleasure, or your status. This is what the world will tell you. You want, you want to feel good, you need to, you need to match up to these things. Now, do, are we expected as Christians to despise this? Not at all. Well, they have their own place. They have to be put in its place. We need to look at it with the right perspective. Because, you know, so often, it's just, it's just like how the Lord told Samuel. The Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Even as Jeremiah prayed, he said, Let not man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories, glories in this that he understands and knows me. Amen. So what we see in the world is not what we need to see of ourselves. So do we see ourselves through the eyes of the world or ourselves? Do we think it is integrity or do we think it is doing good? Do we think it is money or do we think it is living a life of gentleness? Do you think it is giving or do you think it is receiving? Do you think it is looking good or do you think it is doing good? But let me tell you one thing, that the character that God develops within us itself makes the greatest difference. As you would see, you know, the Bible is filled with verses that tell you of how we need to build our character. Let me just take you through a few of them. 1 Peter 6.11, it says, Flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. So you may ask me, what do I need to develop this character? If you could turn with me to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. This is where Paul describes the kind of self-esteem that God is looking for. In verse 1, he says, We need, sorry, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. 
So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to give up all rights in trusting something else, but just trusting our God. The second verse says, do not be conformed to this world. So what are we supposed to do? Resist every social pressure that conforms us to materialistic values. And the third, it says, renew our minds. Renew our minds with the words of God, with the thoughts of God. So whose opinion really counts most? So the world will tell you, he will say, it will say, you put yourself up on the pedestal. You are the greatest person. You need to, you need to find things within you to make yourself feel good. That's what, you're, that's what the world's going to say. You have the answers. Everything is within you. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says that the most important person in our life is God. In Ephesians 3.19, he says, we are filled with all the fullness of God. What does this say? It says that, that, we, that God's work is completed in us. It's completed in us to bring us to an image that he created for us. He says that he forms in us a, a bigger person that he wants us to be. If, if you would look, you, you, you may say, how am I going to get that, get that the image that God wants me to? What I would say is, you know, if the king and the creator of this universe came down as your savior, he lived as a man in this world to make sure that he takes away everything that you, you, that you hurt, did and you, you hurt it for. He, lived for. he lived as a man to make sure that, you know, he went through everything that you did. He died for us. What more do we need to feel good about ourselves? If, if, we, if we just look into him and what he's done for us, you know, that's where our entire self-esteem is. If you look, you know, he took the punishment for everything we felt bad about, our experiences, our, our rejections, everything. He took it on the cross. And you know what he gave us in exchange? He gave us in exchange an ultimate potential in Jesus Christ. And what is that? He, he made us feel good about ourselves. He, he brought us to a place where we were made right. We were made holy. We were set apart and we were made perfect. So just look at this. You know, you come in with your baggage of feeling low about yourself, but in turn, he has given you something to feel good about yourself. Amen. And I think that is, the, that is the greatest thing that I can stand here and testify. Years ago, when I was standing in front of the mirror, I never, never, ever expected that God you, would use me in a way like this to, to talk about what he did in my life. But today I stand knowing that he has used those experiences of my past to use me today to bring glory to God, to show people that, you know, if he can change me when I thought I was nothing and he thought that I'm something, that he made use of me this morning. Uh, amen and hallelujah. I'm not saying that it was easy. But often, just like any of you, you would have probably said, but Jean, you know, that's not the way that I feel. There is that... I don't feel approved. You know, I didn't get that love from my parents. Or I'm, I, I don't have that affection from people. I don't, I'm not respected in my company. I'm not respected with my friends. Or, you know, I don't have that unconditional love of, of people. But let me tell you this. It is in Jesus Christ that you have your position of self-worth. It is only in him that you can see yourself worthy. You may still say, but you know, my past has been horrible. My, my, my days have been bad. I need those tranquil tranquilizers to make me sleep. But then let me tell you, if you are in Jesus Christ, if you are a child of God, it is by faith that you need to believe what your position of Christ, in Christ is. Let me tell you what your position in Christ is. He told you that you have a new future. What does that mean? That all that you have done is behind you. He says that you are a new creation. What does that mean? It says all your old ways and all your thoughts are gone. He says he's adopted you into his family. He's made you as his sons and daughters. For all of us who felt that we didn't have good parents, he has adopted you into his family. You may, he says that you are not condemned. So you don't have to go look into the mirror and judge yourself and condemn yourself for who you are because he says that in Christ there is no condemnation. You may say, my body, you know, I, I'm not good looking, but what does the word of God say? That our body is a temple of God, that we need to see our body as something that he's created. You may say, you know, I don't have that sense of belonging, that sense of love, that sense of respect. But he says that every need will be supplied to you by, by the grace of the Lord Jesus. You may say, my mind is confused. I'm depressed. I'm, 
I'm hurting, I'm, I'm, I'm horrible. What does he say? He says, I've given you a sound mind. He's given, you, he's given you a mind of love, of peace, and a sound mind. And lastly, you may say, I'm useless. I'm nobody to do anything. But what does he say? He says, he has set you apart. And this is what your position is in Christ. So if you, if you are going to turn around and tell me, this is all that I felt, I will say, look into your spiritual mirror. What is your spiritual mirror? The word of God. Your spiritual mirror is the word of God. That is what truly, truly, truly reflects who you are. It says so well in James chapter 1, verses 23 to 25. Go along with me. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in what he does. So God's word is your spiritual mirror. Learn to look into the right mirror every morning. Not into your internal mirror, not into your physical mirror, but open your Bible, look into God's word, and see what he tells you you are. Because that's where you have your position. That's where your truest reflection is. Amen. Amen. Now, these things don't come automatically, right? Do they? No, it is a challenge. It is a big challenge to think of ourselves as God wants us to. Like I said, unfortunately, they are not automatic. They have to be worked on. It is a learning. It is a process. Actually, God gives us certain ways of how we can do it. It says that we need to renew our minds. You know, a few years ago, the road that leads to my home had a lot of deep ruts in it. So when I used to drive my car and get my wheels into, the, into those ruts, I don't have to do anything to get home. It will just take me there. I don't have to do anything. Just get into those ruts and it'll get me home. Very often, strongholds in our minds are like those ruts. You know, we keep strongholds of what we have thought of in our past and we stay in those ruts. And we get into those rigid, restricted moments of thinking. And where do you get freedom? It's only if you take the wheel and steer it into good, abundant life that you can actually feel good about yourself or get, get rid of that negative thinking. Right? So then there may be a lot of us who are in those ruts today, you know, who are just going into that negative thinking. But you need to take control of that and move it, turn it, swerve it into a place where there is abundant life. Let me tell you, I, I'll, just, I'll just take you through a couple of ways that you can do that. One of the ways that you can do is guard your gates. How many of you have read the book Holy War by John Bunyan? Anybody's read that book? It's the same author who's, read, who's written Pilgrim's Pro Progress. I, I, would, I would encourage you to read it. Now, what does this story say? It's a beautiful allegory about um, the city of man's soul. Okay, it is... It, it talks about the soul of man who is possessed by a king called as King Shaddai. It is represented by God. Until the evil Diabolus, okay, he's represented by Satan, inhabits and fights to take possession of it. Okay? So the story is about how there is a war uh, uh, with Emmanuel, that is represented as Jesus and Diabolus, to capture the, the city of man's soul. And how it is overcome, how, how the city of Mansoul gets into problem is because of um, the gates that have been compromised. And you know what they explain these gates to be? They explain these gates as the eye gate, the ear gate, the nose gate, the mouth gate, and the feel gate. It is symbolically using the five senses of the, of, of, of the mind through which Satan attacks the Mansoul. I'd like you to apply this metaphor in your thought life. Very often, the thought patterns that you have gain entry through these five gates. It's either through your eyes, through your ears, through what you feel, right? Hardly through the nose, but, but mainly through these three gates. So what is it that we are asked to do? We are asked to guard our gates. The first gate that you need to guard is guard what you look at. What does the Bible say? The Bible says in Matthew 6, 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. 
Very often, what you see in TV can make you feel absolutely miserable. Do you agree with me? Yes. Right? And especially for those who are youngsters, the very fact of the images that you see on TV can get you into thinking horribly about yourself. And very often, some of these things act as a springboard to the negative, and negative thoughts that you have. So what is it that you are asked to do? Guard that gate. So if there are things and shows that you should not be seeing or sites that you should not be looking into because you know that it's going to get you into a negative thought pattern, guard it. Stand guard to it. The next one is guard what you hear. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now often, many a times, we can prevent ourselves from hearing things. A lot of us get into gossip. A lot of us get into things that we really needn't listen to. But what does God expect us to do? Hear things that he wants us to. Guard your gate of, hear of your hearing. The last one is guard your reaction to your feelings. You know, the Bible says, think of what is true, what is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, lovely, commendable, excellent. Think about these things. Because when you think about these things, you guard the reaction to your feelings. You make sure that you know, you're, feeling, you're feeling good and not, not feeling bad about yourself. So guard the gates to your mind. And when you do that, you will reduce the ability of the enemy to sow those negative thoughts in you. Let's go on to the second one. Second one is taking every thought captive. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, it says, Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We are asked to take every thought captive to God. What does that mean? We need to have a rule for sorting out our thoughts. Let me ask you this one thing. What kind of people do you, do you allow to get into your home? Do you allow your meat vendor to come into your home? Do you allow your grocer to come into your home? No. That place, the home, is reserved for people you trust. Would you allow, you know, anybody across the street, a stranger, to get into your cupboard and check at all your jewels and your valuables? No. You will only allow somebody you trust. Now, what is that way? What does that mean? We are meant to be like Christ, and so we need to filter our thoughts in such a way that we will let only those thoughts that reflect his heart to get into our lives. So we need to make sure that we have a filter. You all, make, all of you make tea at home, right? So when you make your tea, you have a strainer where you make sure that you get the goodness of what you need and throw away all the bad. The same way, God expects you to use two filters. One is use God's word. And the second is, is figure out your sensitivity to the, to the Spirit's prompting in you. So whenever there is a thought that comes to you, filter it. Is this something that God's Word says? Is it something that, this, that, that grieves the Holy Spirit? Filter it. Filter it to see whether it should enter into your life or not. Let's see of how you can use this filter. I'm just going to give you three easy words for you to be able to memorize and understand how you're going to do it. Let's say there is a negative thought that comes into, into you through one of your gates. The first thing, first R that you do is recognize it. You recognize the source of that thought by lining it with God's word. And you see whether the spirit of God says it's okay. And then make it obedient to Christ. So recognize where is that thought coming from. Secondly, refuse it. If it is unwholesome, if it is not something that is in line with the word of God, show the, the thought the back door. Ask the, ask the thought to get out. And the third is replace it. Replace it with the word of God. Replace those negative and evil and critical thoughts with the word of God. Let's do some practice. Suppose you have a negative thought that comes into you. Okay? Um, and, and, it, and you say something, I am an absolute loser. I just cannot do anything right. So what do you do? You immediately pull out your filter and say, is this what God's word says about me? No. Is this what the Spirit of God wants me to think about? Does this grieve the Holy Spirit? Yes. So you recognize that the source wasn't right. And then you refuse it. You say, this is unwholesome. This does not pass through my filter. I am I'm sending this outside. 
And lastly, you would replace it with God's word. What does God's word say? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? So I want you to go back and practice this. Recognize, refuse, and replace. Now, until and unless we replace our thought with God's word, okay, we are just going to be staying in that rut. What is the third step? The third step is guard up the loins of your mind. This is written in 1 Peter 3.15. I think it's there. Yeah, you can probably read it there. But, you know, this expression comes from a reference to the mode of dress that was, um, that was there in ancient times when people used to go for war. They used to have these long flowing ro robes. And you know what they used to do during war? They used to take it up and they used to gird it up. And why do they do that? So that they get ready for battle. <coughs> that they get ready for battle without having anything obstructing them. So take this, take this to, your, to your own life. Peter takes it a little ahead and says, Guard the sorry, gird the loins of your mind. So what are we supposed to do? Discipline our thought processes. We need to prepare for battle. Whenever you get that negative thought, you need to prepare for battle. Gird the loins of your mind and prepare for battle. And how do you do that? It could be memorizing the word of God. It could be just speaking out in tongues. It could be praising and worshiping God. It, it could just be just talking about his goodness, just, just, just speaking good about him. So what I encourage you to do is gird up the loins of your mind. As I come to a close, you know, it is very often, it is said that the mind can believe. What the mind can believe is what the mind can achieve. Today, as you go back, you know, there may be a lot of things that you have in your mind that, that pulls you back the way that you see yourself. Now, I just want to encourage you to use the word of God as your spiritual mirror. It is his word that tells you who you are. Don't look at anybody else, anything else, your past, your, your present, anything. God's word is, is present there for you. So even as we just reflect on that, I just, I just encourage you to go back today and just tell yourself, each time you look into that mirror every morning, be reminded of this one thing, that you need to look into God's mirror, into his word to truly reflect who you are. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.